Welcome to another edition of Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. This is a podcast that I have dedicated to the stories of people who have overcome in their lives adversity, challenges to become uh, the best version of themselves. So many people suffer in silence uh, and I've gotten tired of it. And so I've overcome out loud and I've invited others too. And we have had an amazing uh, group of vulnerable and courageous men and women on. And I've been really looking forward to our guest today. Joining us from Los Angeles is Courtney Friel. Hey, Courtney. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it because you're, you're actually a sobriety sister. So I think we're just a few months apart in terms of our, our sobriety. But the main thing that I've enjoyed about watching you is your journey through life sober and all of the things that you have done. And I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, our mess gets talked a lot about and we talk a lot about what it was like, but then there's this life afterwards that is so incredible. And, and you and I actually have very similar stories as it relates to a lot of the, the chapters in your book. And so I'll introduce you just as a, a local TV personality, an incredible sober woman, sober mom, sober wife. You're the author of the amazing book, Tonight at 10, Kicking Booze and Breaking News. And, um, you know, I really uh, have been, like I said, anxious and excited to, to see you in here and have our listeners hear more about what your journey has been like, because I think you're, if I'm not mistaken, around 12 years of continuous sobriety now. Yeah. On September 9th, I had 12 years. And for those who are watching this and not listening to it, I have a, a picture of my book behind me and that you mentioned about how so much of the the drama of the story, you know, the drunkalog tends to get talked about. And that's why I wanted to write this book because I had read so many out there like recovery books. And it was all like, here's all the crazy stuff I did. And then I went to rehab and then I got sober at the end. And you're like, well, wait, are you still sober? Then what happened? And I get it that the stories are like the fun part that people like to read sometimes, or that's like the juicy stuff. But it's really difficult to get sober. And I, my goal was to have the book when I had 10 years sober. And I felt like that was enough time to be credible on the matter. And uh, I manifested that. So that happened, which is awesome. I, I just wish more people could find out about the book because that was a whole nightmare experience in, its, in itself. For, that's for another time. The point is that I, I wrote the book to help people not to get famous, not to make money. And it's a good thing too, because the two latter things did not happen <laughs> from it. But um, I just had so many viewers and Instagram like followers when I came out about being sober at six years, like ask me so many questions that like, I just wanted to have one place that I could send people like, okay, you want tips you want to know what it took for me to get sober and what the final straw was all that like go read my book yeah and it's it's so well done. and I love the I love the way you broke down the chapters because you take us all the way through I think at the end it, it's about having fun but you talk about the meditation you talk about divorce and you and I have like I said you'll 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 see a lot more so, so yeah for sure and and so that's I think one of the things is your your dynamic sobriety. And, and I don't mean that from a, from an external flamboyant. I just mean how clear you are about how fun and challenging life is as a mom and, and a new wife and all the things that you've gone through. And so you use the term, it's hard to get sober. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your origin story? I, I know you found uh, alcohol kind of later than some of us. I was, a, I, I started at 12. I think you made it till 15 or so in high school. <laughs> is so. that me? 
every now and then I run into people who didn't start drinking until they were 30, but they're, they're, they're still, you know, in, in the program of recovery. So they got there anyways. Uh, 15. Yeah. I mean, my backstory is that I grew up, um, in a middle-class normal family. My parents are still together. They took me to Presbyterian church every Sunday growing up. And I was really shy, but I was also really bullied and I didn't know how to stick up for myself. And that really hurt that people didn't like me for whatever reason. And my own mother was like, you must be doing something wrong, which, you know, I was just like sweet. And I didn't know how to stand up to my bullies. And I was like, I'll turn the other cheek. And at the same time, I was very driven career-wise. I knew I wanted to be a news anchor. So at least like I had that to be like, oh, success is the best revenge. Like I'll just live in the TV studio and you know work till 10 o'clock at night, which I did. And then I discovered work hard, play hard when I started drinking, which also helped me numb out the pain of not being liked. And it also helped me come out of my shy shell and be this fun and funny person who suddenly had all these party friends. Like I had found my tribe and then moving out to Los Angeles, like I just became a more harder person. Like I was so internally hurt from all the bullying that I had experienced. Like I, I had it pretty severe and I just loved LA because everyone was too into themselves to like worry about me. And I discovered cocaine and ecstasy and it, it just became a 15 year party career. And I was working in television the whole time. And it looked like I had it all together on paper. I had gotten married. I was at um, Fox news channel. when I was 26 years old, the youngest person to get hired there on air. And then ultimately being in New York, I've heard that it's many people's downfall because it was like, wow, the bars are open till 4 a.m. and we don't have to worry about driving because there's cabs and all the shrinks hand out, you know, Ambien and Adderall and Xanax, like it's candy and everybody, everyone does Coke and it's just like a crazy party. So I ended up with seven people surrounding my bed. And thankfully in that um, very hungover state, I had enough sense that I knew if I went to rehab, that it would be the best decision for my life. I knew that I had more to offer this world and I knew I deserved more for myself too. So I I mean, I will, you know, sing the praises of, of sobriety all day long because I went from someone who had to drink before I did every single thing, except anchor the news. I never drank and anchored the news. I was severely hungover and made poor decisions because of my partying the night before. But, um, you know, I just am so much clear headed and I don't, there's nothing I want to do with the drink. Like I just, that was lifted and, and it's so amazing. Yeah. I've, I've really enjoyed that part of it. That social rejection, you know, and I I think uh, a lot of us kind of don't feel comfortable in our own skin at young ages and the pressure of, you know, not fitting in in high school and, and bullying. I was put into special ed when I was young for, for various reasons, mainly because I was being abused at home and they didn't know what was wrong with me. And so I went into special ed, which was the kind of origin of a lot of the bullying that I got and a lot of being made fun of and, and drinking, yeah. drinking numbed all that for me. Um, the hard thing I think for me, and, and I think, and so I had this idea like you, that if I could get successful, I could change, you know, that kind of destination disease. When I get, the, I'll, I'll show them, I'll do this. But there's that old saying, wherever you go, there you are. And, and, you know, tell me a little bit about how hard it was for you 
to look at being al an alcoholic when from the outside, it looked like you were successful. I mean, the powerlessness, the unmanageability, it's like you were, you were gainfully employed. And I think both of us know the elevator does go all the way to the bottom and you can get off wherever you want, but it's harder when the trappings of the external vision that we put out there of ourselves, you know, I think we, I think as you've described being also a frustrated chemist as I was, um, you know, we go to any lengths to really numb the pain of the truth of who we are. So how hard was it for you to come to grips with the fact that this has progressed to a point where you had to do something about it when you had such material and, and professional success? I think that like so many people out there, I had the perception that alcoholics were people that were living on the street, weren't paying their bills, you know, passed out on the couch, beating their wives all the time. And I didn't understand that the synapses in my brain just don't allow me to have one. I mean, clearly from experience, I, I knew that, but it took me a while to realize that, oh my gosh, you know, I'm such drama. I keep blacking out all the time. Like I'm doing stupid stuff. I'm, I'm getting in trouble with work. Um, this is not good to be taking Ambien before going out to a club. Like people had said things to me along the way. Uh, I mean, when I was a, a sophomore in college, I worked at a tanning salon and I did cocaine every single day with my boss. And I did it at school in the bathroom, in the library. And I got straight A's and th that year, the only year I got straight A's sadly was from being high on cocaine the whole time. But at the end of the year, I had a huge, like, I felt like I had a man standing on my chest in this such like, I thought I was having a heart attack. I ended up in the hospital and of course didn't say, oh yeah, I've been doing cocaine every day for a year. And it turned out to be really bad acid reflux, but I tried to quit after that. And I just kept coming back to doing more cocaine and in my drinking. And um, I had gotten in trouble when I hosted the world poker tour. Uh, I ended up like passed out in a plate of spaghetti at 4 a.m. with my dress falling off me and the crew members told on me. So it was like little things that were happening. And ultimately I saw the video of myself drunk and I had been in a blackout and what I saw, I was just appalled. And I knew that I was going to get in trouble buying Coke from some shady dealer in New York city and lose my job. And I definitely didn't want to lose my job because that was like partying and my job were like my entire life. Yeah, I think that's a, a, an interesting segue because you 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 went to rehab. Thank thank God you were intervened on at the time and that you were able to arrest this. You know, and and it does progress, right? It will get worse. It doesn't get better. You can tell from from the experiences you were having, it wasn't getting any easier to deal with this kind of you know this thing on your chest or this thing on your heart. So you go to rehab and 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 find sobriety and come back from sobriety. And I think what's interesting about your story, which I really love, is what you just talked about. How you you had wrapped up your identity in a few things. You had wrapped up your identity in being a a TV personality, and you wrapped up your identity in your success and work and now and partying. So it's like work and party is who I am. That's what I do. I go on the news and I'm on TV and I party at night. And now here I am 28 days later, and, and I, I, I applaud the, the commitment you made to recovery. I know you, you did uh, outpatient as well, but both of those things are now, now gone, and you had to really look at who you, kind of that internal narrative around who you were, and what was that discovery process like? I'm sure, as it was for me, it was, it was not fast and it was revealing, but, but it sounds like it must have been really eye-opening for you to finally get to know who you are. 
Yeah. I always say I was living so unconsciously and I would brag about how shallow I was. Like, I'd be like, I float on the surface. Don't give me any of that deep stuff. So (laughs) it started with just like the 28 days of not having chemicals in my body and just waking up and being more present and being like, Oh my gosh, I'm noticing colors and, and buildings and things I've, you know, never experienced before. And I'm listening to this person and comprehending what they're saying. However, it was also extremely boring. And I felt like every day was so long and groundhog's day. And I was not comfortable in my skin. And I was like, how am I ever going to have fun again? How am I going to be able to dance again? Like this sucks. And I wasn't on air as much as I had been. Cause I think my there was like a couple of different reasons why that happened. But one, I think they like, didn't want me, they didn't want me to have pressure, you know? And thanks to that, I was able to, to really go to like a therapist and, and meetings and, and all of the things like, and do the introspection and all of that. And then what I always tell people, like, cause my, diff- my story is a little different because I was, I was married at the time and I, at eight months sober, I got pregnant with my son. And then like, right after I had my son, I was like accidentally pregnant with my daughter. So the first few years for me, I was pregnant and I had another excuse. So even if like I had wanted to, I wasn't going to, and that helped me build time. And I honestly, like, I didn't want kids. Cause that wasn't even in like, I mean, all I wanted to do was work and party. So kids were not on my radar. And I always say that those are, that my son and daughter who are now nine and 10 are the blessings of my sobriety because, you know, I love it so much being a mom and I'm hundred percent present for them. And they took me out of the obsession of work as well. Like there's just some sort of like vibe that you give off when you're a mom. Like in, it's like your job is not the most, the most important thing. It's like, it's balanced. So I used to pray to God to have like a work-life balance because I was so obsessed with work before. And now mm-hmm. it's like, do I have to go to work? <laughs> nothing nothing screams humility like changing a do, dirty diaper i mean you can go for you can you can find humility in those those quiet moments with your kids but then there's just the responsibility that comes with them and you know hats off i mean that's not my my story unfortunately my kid you know you're you're a mom whose kids have got a, a sober mom my kids have a father who learned to change his life and and there's lessons for them in that too but i think you know what you've spared your children and what you've given yourself as a gift is amazing and what it tells me is, you know, and I think people need to understand that we're not defined by our jobs. You know, it's just what we do. Who we are is so much bigger and so much more important. And if we let any one thing define us, you know, athletics or business or on-air personality, and then that doesn't go well, somehow it means there's something wrong with us as opposed to that's just part of my life that I have to work on. And so I've seen or watched your identity just blossom as long as I've been following you with, you know, getting engaged and getting married and co-parenting and all of the things that you've been writing a book. Um, and I think it's amazing. Now I'm 96% a yoga teacher. Yes. Incredible. Yeah, I, mean, look, I'm, I feel like I'm having like a 41 year old, like midlife crisis and trying to figure out things. Cause obviously covering COVID with the news was like a huge, like 
burnout scenario. I mean, I've also like had a headache for over four years that I can't, you know, figure out with doctors. And so like, I'm, I'm, I'm having realizations of things and it's okay to like constantly keep evolving. I mean, that's, I was just telling someone yesterday, like, that's the, that's the awesome thing about being sober is that you really can become an educated, evolved, cultured person. Like, you have so much time to do these things because think how many hours, what, like 10 hours a day when it's all said and done with drink, going out, drinking, partying, being hung over, being in bed all day, sleeping off the hangover, like every single night. Or like, if that's your main focus, like, how am I going to party this weekend? Not like, Oh, we you know what cool new workout class am I going to try? Or am I going to go to Spanish class or what trip am I going to plan that I'm going to remember? Cause I'm like taking in the culture and seeing the sites where I'm not like just hung over the whole trip and not even remembering it. So you, if, I mean, look, you have to make that decision. Like, what do you want your life to be? Like, do you know in your gut that you have more to experience and offer this world? I mean, I, I think I knew that all along. And I think like I had like a relationship like with faith too from early on, you know, from my parents taking me to church. Like I just, I always knew, you know, God was watching over me. Even how many times did I like, you know, pray like, God, please don't let me have a heart attack. I promise I'll never do this again. You know, I'll throw these pills out the window. I remember like throwing pills out a window driving. Cause it was like these like speedy pills. And I was like, I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> I promise God I'll never do them again. Like, just let me live through the night. Just let me live through the night. And now like, I'm so grateful. Like all that, that's a whole, that's a life away. Like I could, you, and it's good to keep talking about it and remembering it. Not that like I am, I would ever be anywhere close to like wanting to use, but like, I do have to remember that I can't, you know, I have to remember this. Like when people are like, and they don't ask me now, but it's like, oh, do you think you could ever have a glass of wine again? Like, I know that, and this was another reason I knew it was getting bad too. Like I would make sure I lined up my cocaine before I would go out drinking. Cause I just knew the pattern was the moment I had a sip of alcohol on my lips, I wanted cocaine. So like, I just know that that's exactly how it would be. Cause I'd be like, Oh great. I messed it all up. I might as well get my Ambien back and my pills. And I would, it would be a disaster and I don't want that. Yeah. And, and, and if you never take the first one, I think that's, what's, what's so amazing. If you never take the first one, the craving doesn't kick in and, and it's up to us. You know, I, I live out here in thousand Oaks and I, I always tell people it's like, and, and I, I actually get a lot of this from you because it's like, out here when the when the weather cools down the fog rolls in from the ocean and as the day heats up in the morning the fog rolls out and to me that's my recovery it's like if i can keep my recovery current if i can stay meditating if i can stay praying if i can stay doing the things that i do to stay sober i keep that fog and it, it doesn't take long to let those things and i've heard you talk even just about your own meditation practice how even just a few days of you know getting outside of your meditation you can feel something's off. You can feel like there's that. a little the difference. Fog's, the fog's creeping in. It is the fog, the, the, the alcoholism, addiction, low self-esteem fog. I like to keep that out on the ocean and not in my life. Um, well, but it takes I work here. Like if anyone's feeling that at all, like for me, the best thing that I've discovered, obviously I love meditating and I do it 20 minutes every single day, but journaling, like I'd say like three to four times a week, or when definitely whenever I'm in a funk about any sort of emotion, I set my phone timer for 20 minutes and I just like journal all my, you know, 
anger, anxiety, or feelings. And by the time I'm done it, I'm like in a trance and then I feel so much better. And usually I don't even feel those thoughts anymore. Yeah. It's like, uh, and I've heard you talk about your journaling. And this is what I, this is why I was so excited to, to sit down and talk to you is to watch. I mean, I think it was six years, five or six years before you started meditating, but it's like you're, you've become this lifelong kind of learner this lifelong grower it's like what's next i want to do yoga i want to journal i want to meditate i want to but they're just it's like i say if you hunt the good things you start to see more good things and then you start to feel more good things and you want good if you're hunting blackouts and you're hunting duis and you're hunting you know being you know in my case you know living living kind of in the shadows you start that guilt that blanket of guilt and shame is is what falls over you and and the lights get dim and so now you've got these very bright lights and i think that's you know and 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 tell us a little bit about you know i know we're skipping to the last chapter because we got into journaling and meditation but tell us about fun i mean you you're 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 you have a a a, a very exciting and interesting life Yes. I, I do want to point out though, that one thing that I struggle with is, is Instagram. And I'm sure a lot of people are out there. Like, <laughs> you know, it's always like hopping onto other people's pages and seeing, seeing what they have and how you compare, like, even I, I deal with that. So I have to be like, stop. <laughs> if yeah. someone's mute, mute that person. If I get any bad vibes off of them, or if they're like, entering my feed way too often, like trying to limit my social media time and really have a balance with that and just like be happy for other people for what they have. But let's see, fun. Um, look, I there, I have four pets. I have <laughs> two kids, a job, a husband. And we just got like a mountain house that I'm trying to do for Airbnb. Like, I feel like I'm constant, even when I try to slow down, I like pick up, I was like taking Spanish lessons. I'm trying to become a yoga teacher. I'm like, okay, well, what would my next career be if I, you know, want to get out of news? Like I'm just going, 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 like even with like, oh my goodness, like this morning trying to like get out of the house with like feeding the four animals and getting the kids and taking them to school and then going to work out. And then my husband, he is also sober. We're having a 20 year sobriety party for him tomorrow. So I'm like planning the last minute things for that. Like right before I'm like getting texts right now, like the flowers, the cake, like all this stuff. So yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, we're, we're having a party for, we're having a party at a bar for my husband's 20th birthday. And people are like, Oh, well, I don't, I don't want to drink. And we're like, no, we, I don't care. We're totally going to buy you drinks. Like, it's just, we're not drinking. Like, like people don't care what you're drinking unless they're alcoholics themselves. That's been my experience. Like I used to pester everyone and I could not understand how they wouldn't be drinking. Like, oh, well, are you pregnant? Are you on antibiotics? Do you have to go to work tomorrow? Are you sick? Like, why would you not be drinking? And people who were just like, I just don't drink. Like that was baffling to me. Um, and so I've had that happen to me. And then I'm usually like, oh, I'm sober. And then that, that shuts that down. And they're like, oh, I feel so bad that I asked that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally like, I talk about it all the time. Like it's, and if I can help make it like more mainstream, like I know that there are people who have gotten sober just from like wanting what I have. So, so that's awesome. Yeah. I think it's, it is really important because there is a stigma. And, and to your point, you know, I always, I don't, I don't know who this guy is with the trench coat and the brown paper bag, but he, he definitely gets a lot of press as it relates to the, the, the poster child for alcoholism. And because that's what I thought, you know, and I had, 
you know, a 35 person company and I had a business and I had, you know, I, that couldn't be me. I mean, I know what an alcoholic is. I just don't think I am one. And so, you know, when people understand what it really means to have the disease of alcoholism and addiction, to have that, as you talked about that brain chemistry that doesn't work the same as normal people and to have something that kicks off and a, and a craving takes off. And then, you know, I think the, the underlying uh, kind of marker is if you're having negative consequences associated with these behaviors and you're continuing to engage in the behavior, despite these negative consequences, you got to take a look at it. And I think I've heard you say, and you can correct me if, if I have it wrong, but you know, like me, it's, it, I don't, I don't see having to deal with my alcoholism as a, as a, uh, red velvet letter or a, or a, or a, a, a black mark. I see it as a gift, you know, because oh, I know what my okay. life was like before and I know what it's like now. And I'll take this life, you know, seven days a week and twice on Sunday. So I see it as like, you know, people say, well, why do you have to say you're an alcoholic and don't you just hate having to identify it? And it's like, it, it's because I don't see it as a negative. I see it as an incredible gift I've given myself to have some issue that I didn't know I had and then find a solution I didn't know existed and then have this incredible life. So I don't view it the way you view it. And, you know, I also have had people I've known throughout the years that weren't necessarily alcoholics, but they, for whatever reason, stop drinking. And they'll like, I just had a, a guy the other day that I used to know that was like, Hey, I have five years sober today. Like it's awesome. Or like most people who stop drinking, I think stay that way. Cause they realize it's just, it's just a better, better life. <laughs> so I know a lot of that you brought up social media and I want to touch on this before we wrap up because it's important. There is a lot of social comparison. I go back to that little Courtney Friel who felt, you know, felt bullied and insecure. And what would you, you know, as, as a strong, vulnerable, courageous, you know, career TV personality, who's got a, you know, a strong foundation in sobriety. Now, what would you one tell her today? What was it? What would you go back and tell that, that little girl that she didn't know then that she didn't know then? Um, well, I certainly wouldn't have regrets for my story because I'm very glad how everything turned out in life. Like my first week in rehab and the first week of my divorce were like the two worst weeks of my life that I would never want to experience again. But those two things were the best things that ever happened to me. And so much like recovery and like exploratory self-help work came after the fact and that's the thing, like I'm, I love to like keep learning. And, and one of like the most helpful tools came from that book, the fifth agreement by Don Miguel Ruiz. I wrote about it in my book too, about just like not taking things personally. And so as far as like viewers and haters and people not liking me or whatnot, like the lessons I learned from that book about just how like everyone's only focused on their story. And if they're acting out it's because of how you are interfering with their storyline and and the the author gives like a way better example which I talk about in the book that makes it like oh my god yeah and so I share that with regular people all the time and they're like huh that's so interesting and so like if I was still drinking I never would have read a book like that you know I mean it's like I love listening to I love getting self-help stuff or and unfortunately like my husband like he's very evolved too and when we're like driving to Palm Springs or wherever it's like hey you want to listen to Brene Brown's new book or yeah hey, you want to listen to like rich dad poor dad like just everything to like to better ourselves or make ourselves feel better. Like there's, I had a friend recently who's like, oh, the self-help space is 
bullshit. I'm done with that. Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, well, I mean, if you're going to have that attitude, <laughs> like you just, it's just like self-help is just like having a religion. Like, do you see God per se? No, but you have to have faith. So then like, you have to still have faith, like that you can manifest things and, and that good things will still happen. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and watching what you've been able to manifest and, and, and on your journey. And, you know, when we seek, you know, I think you had a, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't know why I just drew a blank. Cause I was thinking about it. You said something really powerful. Oh, I know what it is. You said, and I love this and I, I'd love for you to expand on it before we wrap up with, because you said recently, or at least in a podcast that I heard you on, that we have the ability to write our own narrative, that we, we, we speak the words about the life that we're living and we can view it either way. We can either view, I don't get to drink anymore and this life's going to be miserable, or we can view it as what an up, as you were just talking about, what an opportunity to grow and learn. And where did, where did you learn how powerful it is to, to own the pen to the story of your life and, and to decide for yourself? And that's kind of one of my platforms now is that this is my life and this is my pen and I'll decide what I'm going to write on the pages of my life. Where did, where did you start to, to take control of the pen to the story of your life and, and really change your narrative? I think a lot of it was like certain books I've read, like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle or Tolle, however we say his name. And um, uh, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind was really helpful for me too. And then The Fifth, the fifth Agreement, which is like the four agreements, but they just added another one. Um, and like with journaling and I'm mean, just so much self-help work like that, like not making assumptions, not taking things personally, like not, you know, realizing that of course that social media is like people just putting their best stuff out there for me. I just, I've always been authentic. Like that's my whole keep it real thing. Like I'm comfortable with people knowing what's going on with me and like, my body. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. I don't care. And I think people like me because of that, but, uh, I think it's just, I don't want to feel bad. So if I'm waking up and I'm feeling bad, like, and, or, you know, I have a headache situation and sometimes I'm in bed for like two days. I'm like, guess what? I don't, I can't be doing this like laying in bed all day. And I don't want to be, so I need to mind bleep myself out of this. So if that means reading 10 books on chronic pain, so I'll do that. Or, you know, I constantly listening to audibles and, and just getting little gems. Although some of it now I'm like, okay, I have a pretty good tool belt. Cause a lot of this stuff is repetitive. Now. It is. Yeah. But, but it, but it is, but it works. Not, Clearly it everyone does. says it because it works. Well, what I, what I see with you and, and, you know, what impresses me so much is just, you've built a foundation and then you've just kept building with the right bricks, you know, whether it's been adding journaling or adding meditation, but the authenticity, I, you know, you say, I think that's why I think it's because people are, people want authenticity. People are afraid of authenticity, but they want it and they want to relate to people that are being their authentic self. And, and, you know, you've done just an amazing job of that. And I think really changing the narrative around you know, alcoholism and addiction and how it can be such a lifeline to such a better life. And I just, like I said, I was really excited uh, to have you come on and share your story since I've been following you. And I just want to thank you for being so courageous and so vulnerable and so authentic with us. Oh, thank you. And I love your background, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's at, at one point I was hosting a um, podcast on sobriety. There's 27 episodes out there. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, we're going to post that and the, and the book. And I, like I said, I think, you know, 
uh, especially for the the strong women that have come on and and shared vulnerably about because because it's just hard and so to have a strong independent woman's voice in the world of sobriety recovery and you know people will say don't stop five minutes before the miracle you know and there is a miracle out here yeah. for all of us and don't stop five and minutes just, after either remember that nothing like nothing's going to get better by drinking or using like Boom. if i ever think like oh maybe having a glass of wine would make this experience better like it just wouldn't it would i, I can't i can't just have one and why have the calories anyways with one <laughs> well and 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 thank you again so much enjoy your your party tomorrow and celebrating your husband's oh, 20th you. and years. thank you for what you're doing as well yeah it's a pleasure it's a privilege and we'll see you down the road okay thanks bye, courtney guys. bye <laughs>